just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is Tuesday morning, August 31st, the year of our Lord, 2021. Jacked, absolutely jacked, because it is a game week. Everybody plays at some point in the next, oh, six some odd days. We go all the way into Labor Day night. Look at my arms. Well, you can't, because it's a podcast. But there are, I think, faint signs of goosebumps. I also have the air turned down into the low 60s in the office right now. You can do those sorts of things. I'm over at the bomb shelter office, which means I'm all alone. Janitorial service just came in, had a really good conversation there, but it's time to dive into the mail bag. But my goodness, what a week we've had. And it's just starting and we've got more big announcements coming. But I warned you about this for like two months. I said, stuff's coming. Oh, it's coming. Trust me, it's coming. And a lot of you said, I don't really think it's coming, man. You keep saying that. Well, it's here. And we've announced several things. We've got several more things to announce that I can't get to quite yet. But man, we unveiled another one last night. As you're listening on Tuesday, tonight on Late Kick Live, it'll kind of be official, but I went ahead and let you know on Twitter last night if you're following me there, at Late Kick Josh, by the way, numbers growing rapidly. We have signed a major advertising partnership with Academy Sports and Outdoors. And I want to take you inside baseball a little bit and tell you exactly how that happened because it did not go down in the classical fashion. It didn't go down the way those deals normally go down. I'm going to do that on the back end of the pod because you actually made it happen. As is usually the case around here, when something good happens, it's your fault. So you made that happen. I'm going to tell you how later. Also, the Pate State Freights logo, phenomenally done. One of you designed that logo package for us. You guys collectively as an audience came up with the name. So as you see, I'm just kind of over here existing. I breathe in. I breathe out. I talk when the microphone's on. You guys drive the show, and hey, it seems to be working out pretty well. Speaking of you driving the show, as you know, this is a wall-to-wall mailbag, so we got to dive right in. I'm going to mix some more things within the podcast this morning. But I put out the call on Twitter last night. I said, recording in 20 minutes? Give me some questions. And you did. I cannot even come close to getting to all these. So my little satchel here just overflows with questions. Let's get to as many as possible, though. Russ is first up. I forgot about this one. Uh, Russ sent me this the other day. TCU opens against Duquesne this week. I go to Duquesne. How much for you to name drop Duquesne on Late Kick or Late Kick Extra? Russ, I will charge you nothing for that. Moving on, Gary up next. I want to hear your thoughts on Scott Frost's post-game press conference Saturday and his press availability from today, Monday, because it's mind-blowingly inexcusable to me. Gary, it was just what it is at this point. I know that's the most probably tired and overused cliche in American society, but it is what it is. Scott Frost, in case you missed it, the head coach at Nebraska, they lose to Illinois Saturday. I spoke a great deal about this on Late Kick Live Sunday night, and I kind of mentioned this. Scott Frost steps to the podium. I think a lot of people were interested in this press conference, and it delivered what I guess they thought it would deliver because they got you know, they got Scott Frost at his most vulnerable, and he said, boy, that seemed like the same old movie, didn't it? And everyone nods their head, yes. And Scott Frost is working from the don't run and they can't chase you playbook. But the problem is you can't just keep making those excuses over and over again because that's really all they are. And he's not trying to hide from it. But I'll tell you what else he said. He started to name their mistakes and there were many of them. And he said something that caught my ear. He said, I don't know what more we could have done. He was talking about something specific and it escapes me what it was, but he said, I don't know what more we could have done. Well, Gary, I believe him. Like I said on the show the other night, I believe him. That's where you know a decision has to be made. To me, that's where you know a decision has to be made because I think he's being brutally honest with you and he's saying 
I don't know. Me, Scott Frost, as the head coach of Nebraska, I don't know of anything more we could have done. I believe him, but that doesn't mean there's not more that could be done. It just means he doesn't know anything more that could be done. You see, if I took over Nebraska tomorrow, I would try my hardest to win for you guys, you Nebraska fans, and we would fail spectacularly, and I would step to the podium, and I would say, guys, I don't know what more I could have done. I did everything I know to do, and that would be true but I'm not qualified for the job, and therefore there would be a lot more that could be done if you got me out of there. The difference is I've never coached a day in my life. Scott Frost looked like a grand slam. I don't know how sometimes these things go wrong. I can't even fault Nebraska. I'm I'm not going to be the one who sits there and cheers them when they hire him, which I did, and most everyone else I could hear from did, and then four years later says, oh, y'all don't know how to hire anyone. There are some places... I think we know several of the outposts across America I'm talking about who have made bad hires. And you may have even been critical of them the day they were hired. That was not one of them. Scott Frost at Nebraska, if anything, you looked at it and you said, Nebraska's fortunate that's where he's from. Nebraska's fortunate he's one of theirs. Otherwise, they never would have gotten him to leave UCF. And that's probably true. So they thought they had the inside deal on a grand slam hire. It was a it was kind of a once in a lifetime sort of confluence of events. There's the word confluence for the show. And it just hasn't worked out. And I don't really see that changing. I don't really see any kind of way that this ends brightly for them and for Scott Frost rather. It's tough, but you got to rip off the band-aid eventually, and I think I think they will. And boy, I was about to move on in the mailbag here. But man, we just got a a really distressing message. I think there's no other way to put it in my Instagram DMs at Late Kick Josh. And this is from, you know, it's not important who it's from, but it is a Late Kick listener and he needs some advice and I'm going to give it to him. But this is a play along because every one of you from Olympia, Washington to Homestead, Florida, you're going to be able to weigh in on this one. Quote, my buddy that I went to school with in uh, fill-in-the-blank city in America has a wedding this coming Saturday. When I confronted him about my scheduling conflict, being week one of college football, he said it's okay because our team plays on Thursday this week. Is he still my friend after making such an insensitive statement? Thanks, and I love the show. Um, So I got in a little bit of a hot water situation about a month ago, as some of you heard well-documented, when I just went off on one of these fall wedding tangents. And it was heartfelt, and I still mean every word I said. Unfortunately, I got a little bit too detailed, and I used some real names and some real situations, and we got in some real trouble. Well, I didn't, but the guy did that sent the note to me. And I still don't know that those relationships have been mended. So I think for the greater good of fighting against fall Saturday weddings, we may have fractured a family or two. Is that collateral damage in and of itself? I think that's worth asking, but that's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss fill in the blank from fill in the blank city with fill in the blank friend who is a fan slash graduate of a fill in the blank school who plays on Thursday night. So he thinks it is totally within his rights as a friend to have a wedding on a Saturday in the fall in week one of college football season. I will not go as far as to say that is a friend. I will say it's an acquaintance. Again, this is my take. It's brutal, but let me tell you what I saw in Nashville the other day. It warmed my heart to no end. So there I am getting some cardio in out at a park, and we got several of them up here, and it's a place where they have a lot of weddings. And this was last Friday, so it's the day before the Week Zero games. 
and there was a wedding taking place during the day. It was like 97 degrees, and it's taking place during the day outside. People are drenched. They are pouring sweat, but these are angels. These are real-life saints amongst us because there is a crowd there of people who I know want to be in front of a TV the next day, and even though they're miserable, because everyone's miserable at a wedding, but even though they're miserable, they're thankful. They are miserably thankful. Find a way to be there in your heart every now and then. I advise it. They're miserably thankful because deep down they know the buckets of sweat that they're pouring right now will be worth it when they are in a climate-controlled environment right in front of four different TVs running simultaneously and just all of the food and beverage of their choice at their disposal, and there they are in their happy place. I don't know if some of you are just happening to ride along with a hardcore college football fan, so you're happening to hear this podcast But if you are, and there's got to be one or two of you out there, we only get like 12 or 13 of these a year. And I did the math, I ran the numbers, and I'll tell you again, if we have, let's say conservatively, we have 14 Saturdays that we want blocked off. I'm told there are still 365 days in the year. 52 of them roughly are Saturdays. I'm going to hold on, carry the one. 38 Saturdays that leaves you. 38 people. There's plenty enough warm weather to go around with 38 Saturdays on the schedule to just let us block off a few of them in the fall. Please, please don't force us to choose between our friendship and college football because I'm telling you right now, some folks listening to this are like me and they'll throw up the deuces on you in a heartbeat. I can find more friends. I can only find so many Georgia versus Clemsons. (sighs) See, I can't answer these questions. It always throws me off. I get so passionate about this. But I've been in this situation before. I'm not even telling the story. It's, it's a story I am not willing to tell you guys. I will get so worked up about it. But just suffice it to say, I have dealt with this personally. And I, well, according to your perspective, either handled it brilliantly or handled it terribly. Most people thought I handled it terribly. But I think I handled it brilliantly. We move on. Uh, College Football Unlimited hit us up. Our buddy, College Football Unlimited, those of you who have been paying attention and you've heard me talk about our models and whatnot, you've heard me talk about the games that we select and the way we select it for the Ramen Noodle Express, the tool that they have on College Football Unlimited is invaluable. See, a lot of you, I think in the past, have probably been fooled into paying people for betting picks. It is my humble advice that you should never do that. If you're going to pay money for something, pay money for information. You know, pay money to be more informed, therefore still allowing you to make your own decisions, but you're just making more informed decisions. So our buddies over at College Football Unlimited, who I've dealt with and I've known several years now, they have a great tool. It's a very cheap membership. I've told them they should charge more, but they don't listen to me, so whatever. But they have a tool over there, a game simulation tool that is so fun to play with. It's properly calibrated. I really trust how it's built. But also, the members over there, I want to say every Sunday, they get a new report pumped out to them about cover probabilities and everything else for the following week. So it's a really good website. It's collegefootballunlimited.com. They don't pay me to say that. I just say it because I like them. But anyway, they submitted a question. That's That's why I mentioned them. Favorite storm chasing moment versus favorite in-person college football moment. This, I've got to be careful on or I'll go 30 minutes. I think my favorite college football moment in person has got to be the 2017 title game between Georgia and Alabama because I've thought about this the same way I think about the 1993 World Series. For those of you unfamiliar, that was Blue Jays-Phillies, and that's when Joe Carter hit a walk-off home run to win the World Series. It literally gets no bigger than that a walk-off home run to win a world championship. And in college football, 
We got that in overtime, no less, between Bama and Georgia in 2017. Second 26, Tua to Devontae Smith, game over, Alabama wins a national championship. It gets no bigger than that. And I've told the story before, but I never get tired of telling it. I was in the building. I was in the press box and then went down onto the field for the fourth quarter, and I'm standing right there, right in that end zone, and that play happens in front of me, and I don't know what happened, man. I'm there and I'm supposed to be professional, but I wasn't, and I just freaked out. And I grabbed my phone, the iJosh. It wasn't a 12 at the time. It was like a 10, and I just started recording. I hop in the dog pile with the Alabama players right there. You can see me on the ESPN feed if you go back and watch the replay, but you don't need to catch the replay because I got the footage on the iJosh, which I've tweeted out several times. I'll probably do it again soon. It was phenomenal. It's just an out-of-body experience because to me, at that moment in time, I didn't even care who the teams were. I just cared that I just witnessed this, and it's happening right in front of me, and it's happening in the moment. Like You're you're experiencing a generational moment, and it's in front of you. I'm not in the seats. I'm not watching on TV. It's like once in a lifetime. And so I lost it. That was in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Still missed the Georgia Dome, but that was in Mercedes-Benz Stadium which is one hour up the road from where I lived at the time, Columbus. And I didn't get home until sunup. I I did not drink a drop of alcohol. I'm not telling you I stayed out and partied all night. I'm telling you, it was just kind of delirious. I just didn't want to leave. And so I just kind of hung around until probably the last person walked out of that building. And so that was, that's got to be the most incredible in-person experience for college football. Now I got to be careful when I talk about the most incredible storm chasing story, because it involves loss of life, 24 to be exact. And so it was a terrible day on that front. And so I want to stress, this is from a pure love of atmospheric science perspective that I'm sharing the story. And I've told this story before too, but we've almost doubled our audience this year. So many of you are new and have not heard my stories. So I'm going to share this one at least one more time. For those of you unfamiliar, I'm on a storm chasing team. I've done it for a long time. I am equally, if not a little bit more passionate about weather than I am college football. You get a lot more college football on this podcast, but I could easily do a storm chasing podcast. Not a terrible idea now that I think about it. We are chasing. It is March 3rd, 2019. It is in Beauregard, Alabama. There is a cell coming out of Macon County, Alabama that's about to move into Lee County, Alabama, and it has got a confirmed tornado. So myself, my driver, and a companion in the back seat, who was also the same companion that slept all the way back from the Notre Dame-Georgia game in another story that was told on another podcast last week or two weeks ago whenever I told that one, always finds his way into the back seat. Couldn't sleep during this one, though. We are on Highway 165. It's near Smith Station in Beauregard, Alabama. Uh, We are headed south. This would be south. This tornado is on the ground. We are simulcasting with the news station I was working at from Columbus, Georgia. So our buddy, a meteorologist, Dana Barker, and meteorologist Miller Robson, they're both on air. I'm on the phone with them. I'm doing periodic live hits from the field. It was one of those kind of deals. And so I'm hearing them. I'm hearing the live feed. I also have radar scope, which is an invaluable tool if you're chasing, especially if you're chasing tornadoes, uh, because you could get yourself killed with what we were dealing with and came very close. And so we know there is a major tornado on the ground. It is occurring in real time. And we know roughly where it is. And there are all the debris signatures and indications that we're looking for on radar. And so we stop. We stop because we are punching the core, as they say. We're coming in from the north. So we're blinded by rain. So we stop because there is a major tornado in front of us somewhere. We turn around. We go about a mile back up 165. 
We let the storm pass. It was clipping along at about 55 miles an hour. Very fast moving cell. It moves through. We come back down 165 on the back end of it. EF4 tornado has just come through. We didn't know how strong it was at the time. A high-end EF4 tornado has come through. Leveled the entire landscape. We had 24 fatalities within about a one-mile radius of where we had been. Uh, We could not get in because there was maximum tree damage, power lines down all over the place. The smell of pine, if you've ever experienced a tornado right after it comes through, is so thick it clogs your nostrils. It's amazing because the tree damage around you puts out this sudden aroma of pine that's as strong as gasoline. It smells good, but it like it overwhelms your senses. And so we tried to get back on 280 and track that tornado, but it's moving too fast. It took a cell tower down onto 280. So both directions of traffic had to shift over to the same side of the highway, which was a cluster. And so we went back eventually. And we saw a couple of days later how close we had been. I took the driver back. And a couple of days later, I showed the point we turned around at. And even though it was blinding rain that day, so we couldn't see. On the day we went back, it was clear. And you could see right ahead, about a fifth of a mile ahead, maximum damage. You could see the damage path from where we turned around. So had we not turned around, I highly doubt we're here. And that is science. Uh, That is the Lord looking after you, first off. But secondly, that is science. And that is technology working together in real time to make it possible to do that. Uh, That was the biggest tornado I've ever witnessed. One year later to the day, March 3rd, 2020, I'm living in Nashville. Our building gets hit by a tornado that ends up being an EF4 once it crosses the Cumberland River. That ended with loss of life too. So I speak about these things with a lot of passion, but on the other hand, a lot of gravity. Because I remember what it was like in the weeks afterwards. I was working in the news industry down in Columbus, and I remember the impact that had on Beauregard, still felt to this day, Uh, just like here in Nashville, just across the river, still felt to this day. So those are my favorite in-person storm chasing and college football stories. I told you, if you don't shut me up and I don't have a producer here, I'm running it myself, I'll just go forever. Moving on, back to football here. Christopher is up next. He's got a question that there is a variety of opinion on out there right now. You can think along with me because we probably will differ, many of you. Christopher says, what is Michigan's potential as a program? Can we hear your truthful opinion on what they can be and what really needs to happen in order to get there? So obviously, there is a camp out there, sizable in nature, that believes Michigan is just an eight or nine win program. That's where they'll always be. And if they ever do have a year where they go to the playoff, it will be so anomalous that it would be like TCU or Baylor. If they were to have made the playoff in 20, what was it, 14 or 15 That would have been nice, but it would have been a year they have to talk about for 30 years because it's never happening again. I mean, I don't think of Michigan that way. There are a lot of people who think about Michigan that way. And it's not without merit because if you, you know, aggregate all of history, they don't measure up average win per year total to Ohio State or the Alabamas of the world. But that's not the question he asked. The question was, what is their maximum potential? Now, there are some who believe what I just said who would tell you, well, the priorities are different at Michigan. This I do believe. Uh, Priorities can change, though. And I don't think you have to sacrifice academics to do it either. I don't believe that you have to accept anyone who got more than drool on their SAT to become a successful football program. You can absolutely balance academics and athletics to the degree they would need to to contend in the Big Ten. Question. (laughs) Office style there. Question. If Ryan Day is the head coach at Michigan right now, what are they doing? 
year one, year two, year three, what are they doing? Are they the same? I think most of our answers are no. So then my follow-up is, okay, well then what's the limiting factor? Is Michigan the limiting factor or is the current regime the limiting factor? And then we have a different conversation because then it goes into the same thing they're talking about at Nebraska right now. Is it a Scott Frost thing or a Nebraska thing? Well, I believe in both of these cases, different regimes there could mean different results. It doesn't guarantee you that there would be improvement. That's why I'm always the last one to call for someone's ouster. I never call for people's jobs. I never do it. I hate doing that. Uh, But it does become apparent eventually if it's time to make a change. I mean, it becomes obvious to everyone. I don't. I do not think they've reached that point at Michigan. I think they are rapidly approaching that point, if not already there at Nebraska. But again, to Christopher's question, I think the maximum potential is annual contention for the Big Ten championship. That's what I think the maximum potential is, because that's what I think the right head coach there would do. I mean, guys, the formula is not that hard to figure out. It is infinitely harder to execute. You got to recruit, you got to develop, and then you got to execute. That's what you have to do. You got to sell the program. The bigger the brand, the less you have to sell it. But Michigan, I think, is a big brand that has to be resold because you've got a generation of kids now. And when we're talking generation, it's only about 10-year increments. And you got a generation now of recruits that have not seen Michigan contend on the national level. So you got to remind them it's possible. And so that's how you sell the program. But that doesn't take long because that brand means a whole lot. That Michigan brand still means a whole lot. So what you have to do, well, you've got to recruit, which the right coach there could do. I get so tired. I've listened to some national voices over the last couple of weeks start spouting off this anecdotal nonsense about, well, you know, Michigan's a little bit more rigid. It's a different culture. We're talking about getting 25 kids per year to buy in. You don't have to get 100 kids per year. You're not recruiting your entire roster every year. If you don't think with the right coach there and the right recruiting apparatus in place, the right things prioritized, the right people invested, that you can't get 25 high-caliber athletes per year to come play for the University of Michigan. In the sport of football, you're crazy. All this stuff is excuse-making. It's anecdotal, and it's excuse-making. Now, here's the other part to this. The reason I have not said anything about Harbaugh and needing to get him out of there, I think it's still very possible that the current lineup in that coach's room and the current lineup on this roster is trending in the right direction. We don't know it. we got to see 2021. I mean, if Michigan were to struggle against the Western Michigan Broncos in Week 1 and fall to Washington in Week 2, then that feeling I'm having quickly goes out the window. We are teetering, and that's how quickly things can change. I'm normally the one that tells you, have your opinions move at the speed of honey, not the speed of water. But there are some teetering exceptions to where, whether you like it or not, Jim Harbaugh and his staff have put themselves in position to where one or two football games will determine the future of the program and the future of the staff there. But yes, their maximum potential is absolutely contending. For the Big Ten. I don't listen very long to someone who says otherwise. Okay, uh, several of you asked me if I have a thought on the Bishop Sycamore situation. Many of you know what this is about. Some of you may not. IMG Academy is a school down in Florida. I mean, it's a specialized place. A lot of big-time four- and five-star athletes go there. You know, half of signing day is spent talking about kids from IMG. You know about IMG. You don't know about Bishop Sycamore because no one does. But they raised their hands and they said, oh, we'll play IMG. Anyway, uh, it was a travesty. It was a splattering, as we like to call it. Never should have been scheduled, but the blame can fall in a million different laps. I've heard all your questions. What I can tell you right now is I, as we speak, as we record here late on this Monday night, 
I'm texting back and forth with somebody who is involved intimately with the situation. And eventually, I hope to get this story told. Not right now. It's still too raw. It's still too fresh. But one of these days, I am hoping that we get the full story because what I'm being told right now is that mega thread that's floating around on the internet where the whole story is told, some parts of that are fabricated, but other parts that aren't even publicly known are even wilder than the parts that are out there that aren't true. And so, yeah, it sounds like we need to go down that road, but I'm not going to do it right now. My thoughts are it's insane that a team was basically made up. My second thoughts are Pate State does not have an opponent for week one yet. So any place, anywhere, anytime, we're like the new Boise. All right, let me head over to my corner. I'm going to tap out for about, uh, what is this, 30 seconds or a minute? I don't know. But I will tap back in right after this. And with that, we are back. Let's dive right back into the mailbag. Mitchell, on a busy, busy Thursday as you're listening, which week one domino would alter this year's national title race the most should it fall? Most agree the loser of Clemson, Georgia, could still make the playoff if they win, or win out at least, so its impact could be minimal in relation to other games. I thought about this for a second. You could go Miami over Alabama. That would be huge. I think Minnesota over Ohio State would be a little bigger. So here's what I'm thinking. With Alabama, if they fall, you still have multiple other teams. Georgia, depending on what they do in week one. You could have Georgia there. Uh, Bama would still be in the mix, but you could have LSU, depending on how they look in week one, certainly Texas A&M. Early in the season, any given year, this one being no different, you have a number of SEC teams that you think could win a national championship. But Ohio State is the standard bearer in the Big Ten right now, and if they look vulnerable in week one, right off the top of your head, there is not another program you look at up there and you say, Okay, well, if Ohio State doesn't make it, that'll be because fill-in-the-blank overtook them. And we certainly know if that happens, they're going to make the playoff. Who do you say that about? Would it be Wisconsin? Maybe. But most of you won't believe that until you see it. Could it be Penn State? Ditto. Most of you wouldn't believe that until you saw it. So what I'm saying is if Minnesota were to beat Ohio State, that puts them already on thin ice with hot blades before the Saturday of Week 1 has even gotten here because they play on Thursday. And all of a sudden... The reason I say that game is because you could come out of week one and you could be saying, whoa, what if the Big Ten doesn't have a playoff caliber team this year? Think about what that would do. All of a sudden you have that conversation of, could the Pac-12 put one out? I mean, you already have that, but then it ramps up a little bit more. I start getting into that, could a conference give us two teams in the playoff sort of conversation, which obviously is meaningless in, in September, but that was the question. And the other thing would be for the G5s, uh, it could be Cincinnati or it could be another program out there. You start talking about that. So I would go with Minnesota over Ohio State. I think that would be the biggest singular domino that could fall. And I think that would be even bigger than obviously either Clemson or Georgia, like you said. I think it would be bigger than Miami over Alabama. I'm trying to think. I mean, none of the others are really realistic. Oklahoma's not fall into Tulane. I don't think that's happening. I mean, that would be big, but I don't think that's happening. There would be one that would be really detrimental to my purposes. That would be Northern Iowa taking down Iowa State. I don't even want to say that out loud. Forget I said anything. We're moving on. You know, no, we're not. Actually, I'm going to address this. So I put out my playoff predictions. Most of you saw that. And I had in order Clemson number one, Ohio State number two, Alabama number three, Iowa State number four. And I had Clemson versus Alabama in the title game. And I had Clemson winning the national title. And of course, the same crowd that gets so tired of the monotony and gets so tired of the same three or four teams making it freaks out when I put a team from outside the elite class in the playoff. 
I put Iowa State in there. I really need to specify, most of you know, but if you're new to the program, I don't care about playoff predictions. I just don't invest time in them. I was sitting at my desk that very day and had not even arrived at my playoff picks. What I value is the week to week. When we are going into week one, when we're going into week four, I want to get that Saturday right. There is really no formula out there with any kind of skill behind predicting that far in advance. Sometimes you just get lucky and you end up guessing right. But think about this. What if I were to say, I think Bama's going to win the national title this year. And if you ask me why, I said, because I think they got a locked and loaded defense ready to go. But then they have three different games where their defense allows 30 points or more, but they just outscore everyone and they win the title. Was I right? Because I picked Bama to win the title and they won the title. But all of my logic behind it was horrific. I picked them because of defense. And they gave up a ton of points, but they just won anyway. So sometimes you get lucky and you pick it right. Just like someone picked the winning lottery numbers last night. They didn't have any skill behind predicting them. Now, there's a little bit more skill behind predicting college football than the lottery, obviously. But I don't get into that. So I had some fun with it for once in my life. And I put in Iowa State. And you would have thought it was a capital offense. Some of you had like emotional reactions to it. Like I dished your grandma in the grocery line. It's Iowa State. It's the number six team in the country. I didn't pick Catala Community College to use a Harris County, Georgia reference. It's Iowa State. Yes, it's a little bit of a long shot, but it wouldn't be the most preposterous thing in the world if they were to win the Big 12, which would require beating a team that they beat once last year and took to within one possession being minus in the turnover battle in the Big 12 championship game. Like, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world, is all I'm saying. So maybe they'll make it, maybe they won't. I won't lose a minute of sleep if they don't, but let me tell you, hear me loud and clear. You shouldn't be shook over this. Kevin Costner should be shook. Because if Iowa State does make the playoff, and I'm the only one out here who predicted it, I'm the new Kevin Costner in the state of Iowa. I deserve it at that point. Kevin Costner's had a good run. Field of Dreams is my favorite movie of all time. But eventually, all good runs must come to an end. And if Iowa State makes the playoff, and I called it, and I got the receipts, move over Kevin. That's the new motto on this show, move over Kevin. This is actually great. I'm recording, and submissions are still coming in based off the tweet I sent out. And something I think it's really important for all of us to answer at some point in our lives, Dan Rubenstein, co-host of the Solid Verbal podcast, hits us up and says, what is the most appropriate response when someone says, I love you, but you don't feel the same way? And I had to ask, do we have a cell phone in our hand when this is going on? He says, we do not have a cell phone. So there goes the fake phone call. What do we do when someone drops the illy on you and you're not ready to reciprocate and you're not going to lie because we're just too big a people for that? Oh, it could be a mess. And we don't have any technology to bail us out. I did what any responsible adult would do. I Googled how to deal with an ill-timed I love you. And I came across... One of the most horrifically misguided pieces of literature that I've ever seen on the internet or elsewhere. 11 cute things to say when you can't say I love you back yet. This is from the fine folks, and I'm sure they're wonderful people, but boy, they've never had a car keyed before. This is from YourTango.com. I have no good answer for you, uh, but I can tell you they have bad answers. First option, I'm not ready to say that back, but I do know that you're important to me. Car keyed. Secondly, I'm so happy to have you in my life. Slapped. Thirdly, I've never felt like this before, so I'm just trying to understand it. Knee straight to the groin. Four, you make me so happy. I appreciate you so much. Here comes her dad 30 minutes later. Five, express your feelings with a kiss. 
you're in a holding cell till your cousin bails you out the next morning. Six, I think I'm beginning to feel the same, which I would argue is like hitting a deer not fast enough to kill it. Like back home, this happens all the time in Harris County, Georgia. And there are some people who will wound an animal and say, oh, good, I didn't kill it, and just drive away, thinking that they've contributed positively to nature. No, that's worse, actually, than just 80 miles an hour and never even saw it coming. Yeah, I think I feel the same way. I think I'm headed there. We all know where that ends. Car keyed. Seven, that means so much to me. Bunny in the pot within 48 hours. Eight, I really care about you? You really care about cheesecake. They're looking for a little bit more than that. And if you don't give it to them, again, eyes gouged, car keyed, something bad's going to happen. None of these options are the right option. There is a sizable chunk of our society that thinks in terms of a Taylor Swift song now. And so rationale and logic have gone out the window. And if you're not ready, this could be a true turning point decision in some of your lives. So I think after a lot of internal debate, I think what needs to happen is somewhere on the, like the second or third date, uh, this is better than anything your tango.com gave you, but it's not foolproof. I think you need to work out some sort of system, much like a third base coach would have with his batter. And you need to have a set of established signals that you establish well before either of you could have developed that feeling for each other. And there's that agreement that maybe turning the cheek is the indicator and then touch the forehead twice in the nose. And if both of you give that sign back to each other and then you both clap, Okay, that means we're both ready. And so down the road, four or five months, whenever we're ready to cross that bridge, we'll cross it together instead of the alternative, which is one of us dragging the other halfway across the bridge and then getting thrown over into the icy depths below. No one wants that. Good, really deep, hard-hitting subject matter there, though. Speaking of the solid verbal, I said this uh, about a month ago on Twitter. This is a true story. It's the only college football podcast that I have consecutively listened to, pretty much episodically, since I started listening to podcasts. And this was several years ago. Those guys, Dan and Ty, were doing this stuff well before I ever even purchased a microphone. I mean, I was doing talk radio down in Columbus, but those guys were part of what inspired me long-term vision-wise to try and get into this field because I knew that they were doing something they owned. And it's blown up since then, and they've signed big deals, and I'm really happy for them. But ironically, what got me into their show was having to make periodic car rides from Columbus up to just north of Atlanta to visit a girlfriend who, ironically, I used to say I love you too and don't anymore, but I did find a long-term love in the Solid Verbal podcast. And we don't give those shout-outs here lightly, but I'm a big fan of their work. Long-time listener, long-time verbaler, as they would say. But it's a funny place we're in. To kind of wrap it up, I promised you this story, and thankfully I remembered. It's a funny place we're in right now. That was a little cottage industry for a while the whole what I call the alternate media or new media landscape for college football. And it was just a land of giants, you know, the traditionals that you've grown up watching, that I grew up watching, and that was where you were going to go to get your college football. And elsewhere, there was no other way to have national reach with any kind of independent product. I mean, there was just really no way to saturate the market with it. And then along comes the ability to stream live, and along comes podcasting, and then all of a sudden, the landscape shifts, and I noticed it very rapidly when I was working in local news down in Columbus, but wanted to really do this the whole time. And when I found YouTube Live, when I found Facebook Live, that was a game changer. I knew it immediately. I've told this story. That was one of those light bulb moments because all of a sudden, the two necessities that you ever had needed to go national truly with a product 
they were taken away. In one fell swoop, they were taken away. Overhead and distribution. All of a sudden, your cell phone was the overhead, the equipment you needed. You could have a studio anywhere. And then distribution, as long as you had internet access, was taken care of. You didn't need major syndication deals anymore, so you didn't need millions and millions and millions worth of backing, and that has led to this. And it's evolutionary. It's still growing. But I want you to think about something. I want you to look around. You look at what those guys at Solid Verbal have done. You ask them their story. I'm sure they've told it before about what their recording situation used to be versus what it is now. I'm drawing a paycheck from CBS, from Viacom CBS. I started this independent channel three or four years ago. This has not been that long. RJ Young draws a paycheck from Fox now. They've noticed because what's happened is you've made them notice. You've made the longtime traditional, what I call legacy media companies, notice that what they were offering you in some cases was no longer good enough. And you went and you found an alternative and it gives folks like us so much leverage We even have creative control to be able to talk like I'm talking right now. That's rare. In fact, it's unprecedented in our industry. And only now are we getting the freedom to be able to have jobs at this level because you've made it possible. And with that in mind, let me tell you what happened the other day in this whole Academy sports deal, how it came about. I am a salaried employee here. I don't have to sell advertising. We never have to have an advertisement dime spent on our show. Uh, They just make money on it a different way here, and I already know how much I'm going to make. That's kind of how a salary works. But about a month and a half ago, if you were watching, I just randomly blurted something out. I said, you know, I gave it some forethought. I didn't just blurt it out. But I said, you know, we've never had advertising on the show. We've never had a key sponsor. But I know we have so much new traction. I'm just going to throw it out there. If you are a national or big-time regional brand, and you think the partnership would be right for us, if you think you would fit in on this show, hit me up. I give out my personal email, as you guys know, joshpate706 at gmail.com to tell you how unconventional this happened. And before the next morning, Academy Sports had hit us up. Some others had hit us up too. Uh, Full disclosure, we declined some. I made the decision. I declined what would have been some pretty sizable numbers uh, because it was not a brand that fit our brand. It wasn't, so I'm not ever going to even put it on the show. Good brands, just not brands that really fit with what we do here. Academy does. And so we worked a deal. I mean, I sat there right in on the meetings with our integrated marketing team, and we put together a deal. And as of tonight, if you're listening on Tuesday, they will become the first ever major sponsorship partner that we have on Late Kick, Academy Sports and Outdoors. That happened because of you, because one of you was directly associated with Academy and hooked us up with their executives who signed off very quickly on a major deal. After, really, they had already worked out their budget, and so they had to rework some things, but that's uh, pretty incredible because that is not how that works. Normally, there's an ad agency and all kind of integrated marketing folks, and it's just a spider web. And what did we do? We put out a call to action, and a big-time company came, and we got it done, boom, just like that. Uh, you guys got that done is the whole point. It wasn't me at all because they wouldn't have even known what this show was if you wouldn't have gotten it on the radar. So I thank you all the time and I'm thanking you again. And because of that, we continue to be able to build layer after layer after layer onto the onion. No, that sucks. How about uh, more and more scoops onto the ice cream cone? Let's just see how high we can stack it because it's really fun. I mean, it's your show. It's really fun. I'm having fun with you. It's your show. It's all I ever wanted to be. And we're taking it on the road this fall. Late Kick Renaissance Tour starts this Saturday, actually. I'll be in Charlotte. Now, a full disclosure, because a lot of you have asked me, and then I'm going to get out of here, because 
we're already like 40 minutes deep, and I promised Jordan I wouldn't go longer than 30 today. What we're doing with the Renaissance Tour is up to you. So get this. I mean, here's how blessed I am. I just get to choose where I want to be every Saturday, and then the company pays for it. So I go to the biggest game pretty much in the country every Saturday, but it doesn't always have to be biggest in terms of what the marquee says. I could choose a different game, and you guys are going to help me out with that. But also, as it relates to what the Renaissance Tour is all about, right now, oh, it just consists of me going into a city, and you know, if you see me, well, you see me. But there's no huge event. There's no planned event. But that's right now. What we can eventually grow it into is up to you. It can eventually grow into we're doing something in that city that we're in every Friday night because I fly in on Fridays and I'm flying out early Sunday morning because I got to get back here to Nashville to do the show. But you never know what that could turn into. And so that's up to you. That will evolve. That's one of our new projects that we're going to work on together. But that can evolve just like whatever we do with that Pate State idea, that Pate State Freights logo, whatever you want to do with it. That's how we'll grow it because that's how I like the show to operate. I just kind of toss some stuff out there every now and then. You take it. It's like jumping into a crowd and then body surfing. You know, I'm just kind of floating on top of the crowd. Take me wherever. Just get me back on stage eventually, please, but take me wherever. And so we're going to crowd surf a couple of these ideas. We'll see where they go. All right, we got to send this off to producer Jordan. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you're following on those social channels because they are growing rapidly. And as I told you, There's going to be some stuff starting with this Georgia Clemson game this Saturday and Friday night too with the Friday night late night super secret gambling chat on Instagram live that you're going to have to be following there in order to access at late kick Josh Instagram at late kick Josh Twitter and share those things all over the place. If it's nothing more than just say, I listened to the podcast today, tag me in it and thank you for that because that is great, great, great marketing. It's invaluable. It's organic. It's grassroots and it helps the show much more than actually spending money marketing could ever do. So for producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Until tonight, have a great rest of your Tuesday and God bless. God bless.